Greetings, rabble rousers. My name is Jessa McLean. Welcome to Blueprints for Disruption, a weekly discussion dedicated to amplifying activism across Turtle Island. Together, we will examine tactics, explore motivations, and celebrate successes in disrupting the status quo. This podcast is a proud part of New Left Media. This episode of Blueprints is unique in that we are not so much amplifying activism being done as we are exposing the barriers that exist to it within the NDP. In my experience uh, in the party as a candidate, as a riding president, you know, I've run for the party president twice, and I do a lot of work with the grassroots through my participation in New Democrat. And one thing that makes it clear um, and that prevents really effective organizing within the party is the lack of knowledge about how the party really works. And that comes from a deliberate lack of transparency on behalf of the party. We initially tried to record a single episode of what it was like to advocate within the NDP and to push for change within the party, but we simply couldn't fit it all in one episode. So we've started with this, and it's focusing specifically on the candidate selection process by the Ontario NDP. And we started here because we believe it played a big role in their loss to Ford. We wanted to do an episode like this because without understanding how things actually work within the party, it makes it very hard to spend your energy wisely. And I'll tell you, it can be very exhausting. Folks need to know what has happened to the so-called working class party if they have any hopes of salvaging what is left of it. So even in the space that we've spent here discussing just this one singular topic within the NDP, we don't have the time to adequately expose and explain each individual case away. And I think they deserve a little more attention. So if you have the time, I encourage you to look into some of the cases that we mentioned here. A lot of them are on public record. And although we recorded this uh, ahead of the election, uh, the writing was on the wall. So you'll see a lot of our predictions, unfortunately, do come true. And um, the good news is it appears the Ontario NDP does seem to be in a bit of a restructuring period. So we'll hope to take some of this into account. Welcome, everybody. Uh, A bit of a unique episode today. We are looking inside the NDP. I have with me one of my closest comrades in the party, Jay Woodruff. Jay, you want to introduce yourself for a moment and then I'll explain what we're doing here. Do I go through the laundry list of titles I have within the party? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Tell people who you are and why you'll know so much about what happens inside the NDP. I am a federal executive, a provincial and federal council member. I am the accessibility committee co-chair, the disability committee co-chair. I'm on the policy committees and on another committee that I forgot about because I, I didn't attend it. I forgot about it. I'm also provincial and federal president of my riding association. I've been a campaign manager. I've worked on campaigns. I've supported campaigns. I've done a bit of everything. I feel like a lot of people, you know, think they know a lot about the NDP and especially around campaign time have, you know, been involved, quote unquote, in the party. But I think a lot of folks would benefit from a deeper perspective on a deeper perspective on how the party actually works. 
how membership is treated, how the powers that be make decisions, and the impacts that that has on elections, on policy formation, on the motivation of the grassroots. Um, And I think here in Ontario, with the election at hand, um, a critical fight against Ford that, you know, two and a half, three years ago, we were so eager for. As we got closer, though, um, a lot happened within the membership that distanced them from this party, that have made them hesitant to get involved, and have really been a huge disappointment. A lot of that rests on how the team was formed around Andrea Horvath for this election, how the candidates were chosen, and what that process did to the membership as a whole. So I brought Jay on with me because together both of us have been very connected to the Ontario NDP grassroots through our various um, avenues of work, uh, mine through New Democrat and as a writing president and, and whatnot. And Jay, you know, listed all of his credentials within the party. So not only have we had personal experience, but we have heard so many stories, Jay, <laughs> right? Um, once you speak out against the party so vocally, uh, you become a bit of a go-to for folks with gripes and stories to share. And um, we have no shortage of those stories. Some we can share explicitly uh, with permission and some that, you know, we are just that will help paint the larger picture. Um, And at the protection of our comrades, we will share only the details that we've been given permission to do so. Okay, so in order to have candidates for every riding, um, there's a process. Jay, can you just share with listeners how it's supposed to work, how we're supposed to get candidates for the ballot. There's two main ways that it's supposed to happen, and that is members can reach out to either the party or the riding association to request a candidate package. And the other avenue is through candidate searches. And many ridings will year-round be looking for potential candidates and the process is you get a candidate package you fill it out you enter vetting and, and vetting isn't about rejecting people it the the party will even tell you this that it's it's not about saying yes or no it's about flagging things they should know about so you're supposed to go through vetting and then if you pass vetting the nomination meeting gets set uh, i can't remember exactly the specifics but a certain amount of time after somebody has been vetted a nomination meeting is supposed to be held the members come they cast their vote for the candidate if it's contested that they would like to have represent them and then you enter candidate mode the the other way it's not as common for random people or members to put their name forwards, but... Wait, wait, you mean not everybody clamors to run for the NDP? Uh, there there are actually quite a few people in, in most situations that I have heard about. There are quite a few people who want to, but through the process you'll will be covering after this, 
you'll start to understand why it gets harder and harder for places to find candidates. But there is, I've, for leading up to the provincial election, I had a couple of people reach out in the community who were kind of seeking the reality of the process because it's not, hey, I'd love to run. It's what actually does it entail? And, and there's a lack of information for people, and that's another role that the writing, is, the writing association should play, is making sure that potential candidates are properly informed of the process. But lately, um, that, that information, that onboarding, has a lot of warnings included that shouldn't be there, that are brought forward by the party and, and the way things actually are working. So it shouldn't be this really horribly complex, terrifying process to put your name forward, but it's been made into <laughs> a nightmare situation for people. Let's talk about that a little bit. You know, uh, we've had a lot of stories. So you said uh, vetting isn't there to block people. And I can attest that at provincial councils, uh, repeatedly, the membership have been reassured that vetting is, sim yeah, simply a process to prepare the campaign for anything that might be brought up. You know, a, a candidate not wearing a poppy, you know, should explode on the scene. They would already have talking points to deal with it. It's supposed to prevent them from being taken by surprise. Exactly. So it's not about here's the situation you can't run. It's just to make sure that the the party is aware of potential things and gets the whole story. Okay, so on paper, that's what it should be, I think. But it became clear a long time ago. I mean, um, I've not talked about my personal experience here on the show ever, but uh, I was blocked as a candidate in a very unofficial way. You know, um, just didn't receive any correspondence back at all. Here we're talking about the Ontario NDP, though, and... Um, I think it became clear to us, well, at least a year ago, that comrades were, in fact, being blocked as candidates. Some were given clear reasons, some cloudy reasons. And I think people would be shocked at the level to which the candidate selection process has been completely manipulated from the top down. The local teams have been essentially removed from the process altogether. So we'll give many, many examples throughout this episode, some very specific examples and differing tactics on how it was done. But in general, no local riding really, really, truly got to pick their local candidate. How many ridings do we have? I think it's 122. Um, I I've, we've got right. a... Yeah. We've got a list now that's, I think we're at 23 writings that came forward to us in some way or another or public to the media on goings on that uh, either were not above board or regardless really upset the membership. And there's quite a few where people just don't care anymore. So they don't go public. They just leave. Yeah, so. we'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk about the impact because... I think it's it's worthwhile explaining why the process Jay talked about is so important, right? Um, the local 
members that run the riding associations are the most involved people on the ground in that area. They know their issues. They know the people around them, their communities. And it's in the constitution of the party for a reason that it should be those people that get to choose who will represent them, right? We are in a representative democracy. So to have a central location choose local candidates is defeating the democratic process at its root before it even gets to the ballot. Folks aren't even choosing their local representative, even if they're on the ballot. So not only is it fair, right, Jay, you touched on it. Why is a local candidate chosen by the local important to your team, like for their morale? What's the difference there between that and somebody who's been dropped in or or otherwise, as we'll we'll talk about in a minute. So even if it's the most detached person in the community who hasn't really been active, they're still in your community. Right away, you have a connection to that person. They live where you live. They care about your life. So a riding association picking who represents them it's it's truly about it's not about the party it's not about even being interested in the campaign it's if this person gets elected i want to make sure that that person in power in our area actually cares so there there's the actual connection to where you live and then this is someone who you could i know in in some really dense cities and that it's maybe not as likely, but for a lot of the writings, this is a person you you see in your writing. This is a person you bump into at the store. Like the connection, the, the community that surrounds that person is a huge driving force going into a campaign. When you have someone who is more involved in the community, then like the the impact on on the writing and the campaign and just the vibes and the feeling it completely changes i think like anybody who's working on a campaign right now or you know coming out of it knows the amount of work that has to go in as well and a lot of that work is unpaid labor if you're going to demand unpaid labor from people they need to be motivated right and coming in and railroading them and putting them to the side, telling them their voice doesn't matter, their choice in candidate doesn't matter. It demoralizes them, right? They don't want to work really hard for that candidate. They don't want to spend their free time in the summer um, pounding on doors rather when they could be with their families, with their friends, doing the things that they need to do. So um, I can speak from, from my local, the morale of dropping a candidate in eat, whether they live in the riding or even whether they don't live in the riding. I think it's that slighting of the local and of the work that's been done by the local that really damages the campaigns. Um, You can have a great central campaign, but you literally have to go to people's doors and get them to the polls quite, quite often driving them to the polls, knocking on their door, reminding them it's E-Day, it's advanced. You need people to do that. You need people that are willing to do that, because they're inspired. And so I think like with all the things the NDP does, this manipulation of the local process, I think has had the most 
devastating impact on membership morale. So, Jay, let's talk about the vetting specifically. We've seen people blocked. Um, Can you list some of the reasons you remember people being blocked as candidates? So they're... When you're talking about being blocked, they're they're doing it two ways because they're refusing to give packages to people, which means they're not even vetting. They're not looking into these people. They're just, no, just a hard no. And then people who have been in vetting, another way they block them is by not actually completing the vetting. And then the third way is, well, you failed vetting. And Why are people failing vetting? All the reasons that I've heard is you're not francophone, you're not uh, diverse enough, you called Doug Ford a murderer, alluding to social murder, Uh, you've spoken out about the party or policy or um, a caucus member, you haven't told the line enough, you haven't, (laughs) you, in some cases, it's, you haven't done enough, so... I I have had a conversation with someone who was told, well, if you maybe stay involved in your riding association and, and volunteer for Central and so on, then maybe next election you'll be able to run as if they had not earned the right to run. So those are a few off the top of my head. I'm, I'm going to my list of writings here, right? Because we keep a list. <laughs> and... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to start, like, Simcoe Gray, right? One of my neighboring ridings. Got a call from them, longtime members, uh, the Matthews family. Both of them have run for the party before. Both of them have essentially helped run that riding association for years and years and years. Both of them open socialists. Both of them blocked from running. One had to do with a Facebook post, relatively mundane Facebook post, and the other was told that, yes, they didn't belong to an equity-seeking group. And so... They were denied even the ability to stand before their local and ask to be the candidate. Um, Another example that we have, a close friend of ours, right, in Eglinton Lawrence. Sam Kaplan was denied candidacy, even though he is the president of the riding association there. I believe the president of Etobicoke Lakeshore was also blocked as a candidate. Reasons unknown, um, not always clear. The result in Eglinton Lawrence was somebody who had dedicated how much time Sam had dedicated to that riding, to the Eglinton Lawrence community, NDP specific, and now running an independent campaign would not be thwarted, would not be told they were not worthy of candidacy, and so took it upon themselves. Like That is a huge loss. So the vote is potentially split there. And You've, you've lost the president of a writing association, someone very, very dedicated. It's also, I want to highlight that it's common practice that if you cannot find a candidate, the president will normally put their name forward because that is someone who may not want to run, but if no one else is, they, they feel almost compelled that it is their duty to make sure that the local writing is represented. So all these presidents in the stories that we're going to cover leaving, whenever you have presidents and executives leading, leaving, 
That's so damaging. Well, I think the most famous, the only block candidate people actually know about um, is Paul Miller, which is ironic because, yes, he was blocked for for valid reasons, right? Like open Islamophobia is what they're claiming. But yet those facts have been known to the party for a long time. The local had been demanding it. So even when they do block a candidate, it's still upsetting the local because it was, you know, evidence they had not listened. So who knows what caused them to block him so late in the game? I mean, that's such a disservice to the riding, how they start a campaign that late. It's also important for that one to know that in some cases, a single post is used to reject a candidate. This is someone who they claim had a history of things. And when the riding association and when people were, were challenging it, they defended it, they dug in, and they they would not be moved until, uh, I guess, the stars aligned and, hey, you know what? We were wrong. We're going to deal with it. But when they finally admit they're wrong, it's normally tied to something beneficial to them. <laughs> oh, yeah. We saw that with Steve Parrish, right? If we're talking about vetting, there's somebody who passed vetting, knowing that you know, there would be issues that would likely come up in the campaign. And it took massive amounts of resignations in the ONDP, right? We saw executives from other ridings step away in demands. We saw them hold steadfast in their decision. Lucy Watson assured us that they had made the right decision there. And then, you know, enough, again, open public pressure is the only thing that moved the party, um, which is so very common with us. Uh, Oxford the writing of Oxford and Stormont Dundas South Glengarry both saw prominent members blocked uh, suspiciously without justice and their writing associations walked away. We have issues in Guelph reported to us, you know, where <laughs> a staggering amount of people seem to be really excited about running in Guelph. Like, I would love nine people to come forward to run in the writing. Imagine and a nine-person magic- contested nomination. How healthy and amazing that would be. And what is going on in Guelph where nine people want to run, and by the time we get down to the nomination meeting, it's one. But we saw a lot of that, didn't we, Jay? Where, you know, because we have a lot of meetings uh, amongst ourselves. Uh, that would horrify headquarters, but we do. And people were excited, right? We had a lot of writing presidents going, we've got two candidates, we've got three candidates. And we were like, this is great. Like, people really want to step up in the fight against Ford. Like, you guys are going to have nomination races. That's exciting. You can raise lots of money and create new members. But by the time it got close, it was always just one left. The thing about Guelph is think of the the process that would happen if those candidates or those people seeking the nomination all got the package and got vetted and, and got the ability to seek the nomination. That is nine people going out and recruiting members, recruiting donations. It would be such a huge force. The NDP would overwhelm the riding. And then it's dwindled to one. And when it's dwindled to one, you're not given a choice. And the the people who were involved in that candidate search, they begin the day after an election 
and they put so much of their time, effort, energy, emotion into finding candidates. And at the end of it all, only one. And that person is just done. What's the point? They, this team, that executive found nine people when some places struggled to find one. And it was still, it, it was manipulated. And, and to be clear, eight people weren't officially vetted and blocked. Um, we see a variety of tactics being used to make sure that the there is one candidate left standing and it is the chosen one from headquarters. The vetting void where you're left for a year or so with no updates, no communication. Yes, right. So you've applied, right? You've given them all of your Facebook information and friends. You have downloaded your Twitter feed. You've allowed them to friend you on every app, including downloading your dating app information, right? You have to tell them any dating apps that you're on. So you've done that. You've exposed yourself. You've answered their questionnaire. You've had people say that they'd be your official agent. And then they don't respond at all. Yeah, we see a lot of that. We've seen people come forward. And I'm talking in a riding very close to us, a wonderful, wonderful candidate who who checked all the equity-seeking boxes. I know that's used as a, as a reason a lot of times to deny candidates. It's because, you know, we can't just have straight, white, old men running the party all the time. They still run the party. Most <laughs> Michael Balaga still runs the party, but we can't appear to be run by, and we need to, we need to be diverse. And, and if we're not going to, if it's not going to happen naturally because of systemic racism and all the prejudice that we naturally hold, we do need to have mechanisms in place that ensure we have a diverse candidate slate. But we had a candidate who was so involved with the writing association, who checked all the boxes, a wonderful human being, knowledgeable, so knowledgeable, and they would not respond to them. Months and months went by and they would not respond to them. Then they got desperate and turned around and was like, oh, we absolutely need you as a candidate. And by then they were just so disenfranchised, so disillusioned, rather, they they said no. So those eight people that no longer ran in Guelph or all the other candidates that we saw magically drop off, not magically, we'll talk about it, but they are gone. They are upset. They came to the party enthusiastic, dedicated, and were told they weren't good enough. You know, and there's a lot of people whose dream it is to be a candidate, to be an MPP, you know, and they are being told by two people. You know, we are we are told as members, it is two people within our party that get to decide who gets to pass vetting and who does not, who gets candidate packages, who does not, who gets a nomination meeting date and who does not. Two people decide that within our party. Lucy Watson, our director, is one of them, and they are devastating people. They aren't just whittling it down to their favorite folks. In turn, they are leaving devastation. Riding associations who've done the work are told that your work is not good enough. We don't care who your choice is. And they're walking away. Candidates who put themselves out there or potential candidates have been told that they're, they're left wanting. They're not good enough. Um, and at the, on the left, you, you can't just go to the liberals and try running and try to fulfill your dream. That Those gatekeepers have denied you electoral politics as an avenue for change. 
there's also an element we didn't cover where the party does constantly do candidate searching as well. And yes, talk about that. One of the things that might might actually shock people is the party's not good at it. So the party reaches out to people, would you like to run for the NDP? Whatever their process is, is not successful. It doesn't really generate very much because the writing association normally doesn't get any information if if it's well we found a candidate we want to run it's not hey this is the candidate or someone seeking the nomination let's do a meet and greet let's chat let's this let's that it's your nomination meetings tomorrow at three okay bye and and they don't they're not good at it and when they're in control it's actually like left devastation everywhere it goes because you have for the most part especially with the ndp you have someone who's facing something and they have made the decision i want to fight that something i want to fight the social injustice and this is such a huge thing to to be at that point where you want to enter politics you want to expose yourself and run and the risk of humiliation or attacks or all of this stuff and then six months go by and then seven months go by or you get told just no like that's someone who isn't oh i'll try again next year that's someone who's leaving but the party and the way they're able to do it because they don't really have to vet someone in in a proper process and it's a candidate they have found they can just tell someone, okay, remove all your Facebook, remove your social, remove that, you're good to go. But that process isn't good enough for everyone. I think that's a good time to bring up Kingston and the Islands, right? Where it, it, this isn't necessarily a slam on all the candidates that have been handpicked by um, the party. I mean, this one would be. I'm no fan of Mary Rita Holland. But from the outside, that's a star candidate. Right. Former president of the party. Got a name. M membership should like her. Should. But they did it in such a way. Like, so you have the Mary Rita Holland willing to run for the NDP in Kingston, the islands. And they did it in such a way that her own riding association issued a letter of objection after her nomination meeting. A writing association she sits on with people she'd worked with. It wasn't that they didn't like her. That they didn't think she'd be a good candidate. That they wouldn't work for her. It was that they were so disrespectful and manipulative in the process to make sure she would win above any other person that was interested because there were other people interested. That was, a, a, that was one where we knew that president was excited about how many people were running. And then all of a sudden the pre president expressed interest, and we were down to one only. And so I imagine they did launch a campaign for her, but where is their enthusiasm now? What is their mindset going into the next one? Because my writing, for example, we were so mistreated by the federal party using the exact same stuff we're talking about now that we would not subject anybody to that. 
we were not going to put forth a name to head office to have them sit and languish to be blocked. Because I think we also should mention once you're blocked in the NDP as a candidate, it is akin to being denied insurance in that every time you fill out another vetting package, another request to run, you are asked, have you ever been blocked as a candidate? You have to answer that honestly. And if you have, you will be blocked again. So it's a mark. It's not just someone's come to you and said, no, uh, we're going another way. No, you didn't meet all the criteria. Try again next time. You have a mark on your file, so to speak. And that that will impact what you can accomplish in the party from then on in. So we were not actually going to even, I was not going to put forth my name this time around for them to just simply openly block me which I knew they would. And we weren't going to subject any of our community members to the same degrading process where you open up all of your privacy and still, and then, and then as they know more about you, tell you that you're not good enough. So we were expecting a paper candidate and got one, but it's saved us a lot of heartache and headache in the process because we knew it would happen. Unfortunately, some writings needed to experience it firsthand and they have. So I'm curious to see what impact that will have on the election, the outcome, and the party down the road. Because um, I know this is something that they've done in the past, like and something a federal party does. It's, it, it's this kind of unspoken practice. But we're, like, I think we're here going, like, no more. Like, it needs to be exposed. More and more folks actually came forward this election, resigned publicly. So I think it's going to have a bigger impact than perhaps um, they normally got away with in the past. You touched on a paper candidate, and I know we're kind of moving on beyond the vetting, and, and we've covered a couple of different aspects, but a paper candidate, just so people understand what that truly means. So it's someone who isn't really campaigning, it's just to have a name on the ballot. And what that is telling those members, especially if they had people come forward, is you are worth less than a name on piece of paper who isn't campaigning, who isn't going to necessarily even show up in your community. So just imagine when we talk about the impacts and you said, oh, how's it going to play out on the election? I have had members in Glengarry Prescott Russell demanding proof that this candidate, because we have a paper candidate, is a real person. So during an election, a couple of days before an election, I have members and people in the riding and even media trying to reach out and go, who is this? What is this? What's going on? Where are they? And it's so damaging. No, a name on a piece of paper isn't, I would rather not have a name on the ballot to show people Well, I need to be the one to come forward instead of no one who came forward over the last couple of years is worth more as a candidate to this party than a name on paper. So it's everyone views it as, oh, that's a good tool. No, it's actually damaging because I have spent this campaign or this election not helping a campaign, but doing damage control in my riding association and and with media, local media relations and stuff like that. 
And it's because they determined that people who came forward in our writing weren't weren't better than a name on a piece of paper. And what's what's so classic, though, is how we're going after PCs for not being at debates. You know, yeah, they're openly they've got the time. They're just denying people access to them, you know, because their answers are going to be awful. But here we are. The NDP right is on our side. And if you guys check your records, there's a lot of NDP candidates not showing up to debates. Guess what? The locals don't care in those ridings because they're likely deemed unwinnable by the NDP anyway. But nobody is hearing their voices. They're not answering letters to the newspaper. They are not providing that messaging that you need. There's no signs to make us seem like the actual opposition, right? In my writing, for example, the new blue or whatever they're calling themselves, the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, they all have signs up. They all have a local presence. We do not. A paper candidate is sucks because it's obviously just a sham, right? It's somebody who's not actually a candidate. They don't want to win. Um, and <laughs> it has impact on the local too. Some locals are fighting back against paper candidates. What's your writing doing um, in response to the well, uh, you touched on it earlier about talking about the impact of these things on the morale of a riding association. So we have had very few people want to take part because they want to know who the candidate is before they put their time and energy into it. We had a candidate asking for money for signs when they don't have a sign team. No one wants to take part so we can go buy signs, but no one's going to go put them out. They're looking at getting advertising. So most people don't realize this, but a writing association isn't beholden to a candidate. You don't have to just, here's all the money that we have in our bank account and make it look good. So our executive, uh, in speaking with the candidate and with the uh, local organizer, we took a vote and decided we weren't going to release funds to the can to the candidate. If you're not going to campaign, I'm not going to ask members of our riding to give money that they're taking from their table, from their life, from for the purpose of I want to give this money to a party that's going to represent me, and someone's not going to actively campaign and represent them. We did offer uh, fundraising matching. So if you're going to campaign, we're going to support you. If you're not, we're not releasing any funds. And the result, although in our area, we were the hardest hit by the storm. So people really stopped caring about the election. There are so few signs and not because the storm took them away. It's just you're in a... a Rural riding, um, a, far, a francophone riding who, like, they they do not want to be represented by someone who does not know and does not care. They don't want signs because why are you putting this random person's name on your lawn because there's no connection? So there's there's – no one wants to take part in a campaign that's not happening – no one wants to sit there and talk to people about, oh, our candidate is so amazing, their name on paper. Like it's 
it's all encompassing and our writing association has almost dissolved there was one person at our nomination meeting other than the organizer the party organizer and the candidate one person because people just did not care and then I, again, I have been trying to prove to people, no, this is an actual real person. Like, it's not, we're not scamming you. <laughs> I love how that's got to be a problem for a campaign, that they need to prove that their candidate is, in fact, a real person. Um, just so you know, Jay, and I know I've told you this before, but this is for you listeners. Um, you're not the only riding that's denied funds to... Uh, the paper candidate or a candidate that has been undemocratically placed into a writing. Um, we will not fund any of Andrea's candidates or participate in a process that tries to sideline us in York Simcoe. Simcoe Gray has also been facing intense pressure from Central to open up their bank accounts to someone they don't know that they did not approve of. And so I hope like other writings are shown and empowered by you know, the example I think, Jay, you set first, where that understanding that the local association is important and is independent, and although face intense pressure, um, can in fact kind of address these things in their own way. Um, I'm also glad you brought up the nomination meeting. Uh, that's not unusual, Jay, to have like a really sparse nomination meeting in you know, with a paper candidate, with a parachute candidate, which is someone who does not live in the riding. But even where we had, this is where we need to talk about Scarborough Center. I was at Scarborough Center's nomination meeting, so this is definitely firsthand. And although I can't speak to the processes that led up to it, it was a two-person race, um, or it should have been. <laughs> and um, the riding association in the end ended up walking away after what was a six-minute nomination meeting. It was rushed through so quickly. Um, and it was just so clear that the process had been manipul manipulated. I was, I was shocked. So obviously, publicly, right away, the writing um, resigned, spoke out against it. Uh, again, like, Let's say folks don't care whether it's fair or not that the locals are being marginalized and that, you know, a small amount of people hold power in what should be a working class party. Um, they need to understand, like, if you still want to win as the NDP, like, this isn't the way to do it. A six minute nomination meeting is not the way to do it. One, you can't raise money in six minutes. Normally, my first nomination meeting, we raised $20,000 that evening. It was maybe an hour and a half long. You were in, you were there, you connected with people, and that's what kicked off your campaign. Not only did you raise the most amount of funds, um, especially for non-incumbents, you generated the buzz you needed to get people to sign up to volunteer for shifts, to take positions on the campaign team. You know, you need managers, you need coordinators, you need a sign team. That's when you really got in people's faces and was like, how, how are you going to be a part of this? And people felt connected and they were part of the process. So they owned it, right? They voted for that candidate. That's, And even if they lost, it was still, they were part of that process. The onus was on them for a successful campaign start to finish. 
So if you cut these locals out and you have these six minute nomination meetings where you're clearly saying, fuck you to the membership, I need you off screen as fast as possible. Your chat is closed. Your buttons are muted. You do not matter. Well, guess what? When you come calling for money and when you come ask them to say, no, honey, I, you know, I can't spend time with the kids right now. I've got to go knocking door to door or gas up the car at $2 a liter. I've got to drive around my rural riding, putting up signs for some guy who can't even come into the riding to say hello. That's not going to happen. So we can outwardly have this huge campaign where Andrea is all over the place. But I am going to be curious to see exactly how many volunteers we had out this time round, um, because I know federally it was devastating for the ground game when they did this. I, I just got an email from Central a couple of days ago saying, we need your help. They're doing calls for volunteers. So... Something else that you you touched on that I'd like to to point out. It is very easy to tell honest nomination meetings. One, (laughs) they do last more than five minutes. They're not chaired by the party. Two, they're not chaired by the party. And the central crew isn't there to support a candidate. (laughs) If the central crew is there... Don't even bother like it, your your input. And here's something else. So if Merrick Stiles go... at your nomination meeting, <laughs> you're a centrist. So <laughs> with our nomination meeting, there was me. Now I was the I am the president. So we can't you have had a to vote. be there. <laughs> well, I did. I, they can't call the meeting unless you do. Right. So mm-hmm. but. The the absurd thing about what we're talking about and all this crap is they don't actually have to give us nomination meetings. We didn't have a nomination meeting. Not one single person in our riding voted to nominate this candidate that's on paper. So how do they get on paper? How are they able to represent us? Well, in Ontario, central... Most people know at the federal level, once the writ drops, Central can acclaim people. But that doesn't exist in Ontario. So how do we have a candidate when no one nominated this person? They can just endorse whomever they want. They can do whatever they want, which is another layer that gets revealed in all of these issues is at the end of the day, they don't even have to come to you if they're not if they're not doing a nom or um, trust me that's true drive. I have not had one email from them but we do have a candidate on I'm the president of the writing I have not had one email from Central regarding this election and we do have a candidate on the the things that that prop or that pop out from this if it's a six minute meeting and there's no fundraising where'd the money come from did they sell the nomination did they already do fundraising do they have the commit like there's so many unanswered questions and that's where the transparency really starts causing contention is with the party shutting down communication at a nominate nomination meeting imagine doing an in-person nomination meeting where you're told to shut up no one can have a say and no fundraising right okay bye and and, yeah bye 
No drinks or refreshments. <laughs> out, out, out. That's something that's funny about it. Is Host because has ended the meeting. Yeah, it's been Zoom. So the party has absolutely abused the, oh, we have to go. We have to use the Zoom for another thing. Or just a whole a whole list of different things. And it, it's funny because it's normal now for these things. So members aren't allowed to speak. Members aren't allowed to, to vote. Members aren't allowed to anything. It's just all of these things would be absolutely unacceptable in person so they have utilized zoom to have an extra layer of control of these situations but again it just it leaves so many questions and the party's never going to answer those questions they always like to hide behind privacy but as a president i i know who my members are i know who has active memberships i know who has lapsed memberships but i'm not allowed to know how the party is communicating with them what they've done like they give us no information as writing presidents to then go forward and and do our duties as writing presidents so it's not just the direct damage there is a stink that is left that pulls from I I wanna <laughs> I hate the term orange wave because an orange wave is a natural thing that comes from the memberships, comes from community. And the party keeps talking about we need an orange wave. Oh let's form an orange wave begging for an orange wave that comes from a membership that they're absolutely crapping on. Nomination meetings, Jay, we can't, we'd be remiss to hit on nomination meetings and not talk about what happened in Brampton North with a sitting MPP. So this also hits on the transparency that you and I are constantly talking about that's lacking from the NDP. So what happened there was a sitting MPP, Kevin Yardy, was The process was manipulated. He was not given the information he needed. Dates were set that were not advantageous to him at all, but to another potential candidate. And it it was just so obvious, especially to folks who had seen all of the other shenanigans leading up to this, that it was a matter of Central putting in somebody that they preferred. It wasn't a lapse. And that's Jay and I deal with this so often where folks see mistakes made by the party. Outwardly, they appear like mistakes, um, whether it's a botched convention or Paul Miller or Steve Parrish. And it's like, oh, it's supposed to be some sort of learning process for them all the time. It is intentional. It is a manipulation of the process. It is a prioritization of control over access every single time. The, the Kevin Yardy Brampton North, that was not a mistake. Those Brampton ridings, I cannot emphasize enough how tightly controlled the membership lists are for those ridings. Same with where Andrea is in Hamilton. There is no way a nomination process ended up like that without the say-so of Central. 
They 100% control everything from the day that the nomination happens to who can sit at that meeting to what the membership looks like and who can get that membership list. And it was all done on purpose. I mean, I know Kevin is sitting out there knowing that this happens. This isn't news to them. But I, I think a lot of people give the party a pass a lot thinking, you know, um, we just don't know what we're doing. Unfortunately, they do. They 100% do. And I think, you know, we talked a lot about the impact, how it's bad for the ground game. You know, we've seen bad press, right? A lot of those public cases that we talked about did hit the media. They made us look in, inadequate, incompetent. So why, Jay, why do they spend so much effort? And this is a party that doesn't have tons of resources, right? In comparison, why do they spend so much effort with so much negative impact on the membership just to make sure they get a certain candidate? What's the big deal here? I want to say before we move on from it with the Yardy thing um a a lot of people have been trying to figure out that that whole situation and the only reason that i can see that they would wait as long as they did to do this and how they did it is because they know a lot of people were going to donate to yardy's campaign so if you delay it and delay it you're getting all those donations from those people and all those signups for the people getting ready to work an incumbent's campaign and they do it at the last minute. That's that's the one thing that I can see with that. And when you talk about the why these things happen, one thing that I've noticed is they don't like candidates who outshine the leader. So if there is like this absolute all-star, if they can't tame them and get them to, to fall into a support role of oh, Andrea is the most amazing, all of the leader, and so on. If if they're going to pull spotlight, that's actually viewed as bad. If they have... I We don't have enough transparency to know the actual metrics they use, but they have preferred candidates. In our riding, we have a specific incumbent. That is someone that this riding has elected. They want to find the NDP version of that someone. That's another reason they do these manipulations is because they're trying to give you the alternate option or alternative option to an incumbent. So when if, you say incumbent, though, you're talking about a liberal other, or a conservative. Yeah, other parties. Yeah. So when when they're doing that, you can have nine people come forward in, in a riding. But if none of them are like the person who just got elected or the last person to get elected, that could be enough for them. I, I'm I'm very confused about why it's done this way because first off, how well has it worked for us? How often how often have we as NDP members been helping this party form government well never like not never but it's been a very long time feels like because no matter yeah because no matter how much we care no matter how much we're involved when you have these situations going on it's almost like a, a a sleight of hand 
where the party has their own campaign, their own version of the party, and then they let the members think that they have this version of the party. And it, there is no payoff. I don't see if there was a payoff, we would have formed government by now. Okay, so <laughs> here's where I'm going to chime in on that because I think your your answer is too wholesome for for me. <laughs> so because just because in a way you're kind of saying like, but they think they've got a formula to win, and so they're they're trying to you know find that. I'm, you know, next MPP, right? Like find that mold that works for the liberals and the conservatives that kind of bland, usually white. uh, So that, you know, and put them in front of voters. Maybe they won't notice the difference because our messaging doesn't sound all that different anyway. Right. So but that's too. No, that's that's giving them too much credit and and thinking they think like us and they actually need to win in the same way that we need a progressive party to win. Their lives don't depend on it in the way a lot of other people's do. So I I, I just wish people would... I'm sounding kind of a little pompous here. In my opinion, these folks don't care if we win. They care about keeping their jobs and they care about their hold on power. Okay, so then you're like, well, if you keep losing elections, how can you stay in power? Look how long Andrea has been there. She has been able to maintain not just the leadership, but a tight hold on power. A very small circle of people still control this party, even though they keep losing. Michael Balagas has a horribly bad losing record politically. Yet he is one of the highest paid people in our party, and he for sure gets to determine the bulk of the policies that Ontario people get to see. And as long as he is still there, he is still happy. As long as Andrea is still relevant and still in power, she is still happy. And so I believe this election in particular was yet a Yes, definitely cannot outshine Andrea, because let's remind listeners that our entire campaign was explicitly about reintroducing Andrea. That is not my opinion. That is how it was explained to the membership in order to justify the massive amounts of money spent on social media. And so in a campaign that is focused on Andrea, no, there could not be any brighter stars than her. But there, there is a huge discrepancy in the people that have been blocked at the amount of socialists and outspoken activists that were blocked. So I see definitely if you spoke negatively about Andrea, you were not getting vetted. If you spoke negatively about the ABA industry, which is what our entire autism uh, uh, file hinges on, you were blocked by the party. Many, many, many socialists were blocked by the party. And so I think it's an attempt to solidify Andrea's position with friendlies, fulfill favors. I think we saw a lot of friends of staffers ended up candidates, right? A lot of spouses of people who work with Andrea and really tight friends from the federal party circle ended up candidates. So it was in. It was Andrea, Michael, Lucy, 
trying to solidify power. And because there's, there's no other explanation. Because the federal party just did the same thing and lost so bad. So they knew it was a losing strategy, a leadership cult where the locals have been sidelined, where the candidates have been mostly handpicked or parachuted in, was a losing strategy. And they had a year to fine tune it and they, they plowed ahead. So, um, and look, and McGrath and everybody in the federal party still is there, right? So even though they keep losing and losing and losing bad and making people upset and seeing resignations in the party, they still get to repeat these same formulas, largely because we as members aren't holding them accountable. I, I would like to challenge you on a couple of things there. Michael Valigas has an amazing record. He is one of the best conservative employees of the last two <laughs> election cycles, yeah. and he's doing <laughs> really good for the liberals <laughs> right now. So, okay, you, you had... You had talked about my my version being a bit of the uh, positive spin version. So in all honesty, Andrea is going to be gone. If she does not form government, if she is not premier, the, this party needs to remove her. That's a genuine fear. So the favors that you're talking about are also these rushed candidates. Well, what if they're the next leader and people at Central want to keep their job because people's jobs at Central are tied to who a leader is? You have all these campaigns that this is their chosen candidate. Here is the party's chosen campaign manager. Here is the party's chosen communication manager. Was it uh, who? Who is it that the entire volunteer team was wiped out? And here is Central's team. I think that was Kingston in the island. Yeah, yeah. So what they did is here is our candidate. Here is our campaign team. And they had an active team in place, and they all got the boot. This is all about, like you said, when you talk about favors, it's not just a straightforward thing. And also, in, in all honesty, when we talk about the whys, it is so very clear that the NDP does its best to appeal to liberal voters. And it's been done so long and for so much that our candidates, we need to, or they feel they need to find liberal appealing candidates to run for the NDP, which means we're getting liberal candidates, which is something that when you look at the, the entire scope of that is Michael Bellegas, who forms most of the campaign details. He's forming the NDP's campaign on how do we appeal to liberals. So that's not representative of the membership. That's a liberal campaign. And we saw that play out. The media has trashed the Ontario NDP. The membership has trashed the Ontario NDP. This was our election to lose. The pandemic election where healthcare and suffering and workers' rights and all of these things that the NDP was formed and based on and like that was their mission statement for most of its existence it's still in there that we are the party for the workers and the marginalized and advocates but instead while we're facing potential privatization of healthcare and just so many different things what did this party do as little as it could because they don't want to look socialist they don't want to look like they're there for the people 
They want those liberal votes. And that's the absurd thing about it is all of these things that we talk about, it's not it's not straightforward. There's so many interconnected things with the reasons and the effects. And at the end of the day, there are so many people who have reached out to me saying they can't vote for the NDP this this election. And when you have members saying that they can't vote for your own party, that is the effect that is happening. Jay, I'll tell you, you know, my voting cards, my whole family, they're up on the fridge and I pointed them today and I'm so wholly uninspired. I have a paper candidate and my my husband is obviously very angry at the way that they've treated me personally, right? That's how partners work. And um, it's like, are we going to do that? We're going, right? We got we got to go, right? We're that family that's like, you got to vote, like you have to vote. But this last year and the I'm just so disillusioned with the entire electoral process, not just the party, that I don't want to go because I, I, I would probably have to spoil my ballot. I cannot actually give Andrea's team my vote. I, do, I, I, I don't think I would even trust them in power. Yes, they would be far less damaging than Ford. But I would be more inclined to vote for my Green candidate, who I know is a local activist for the lake. I know she does really good work in the community. And if I know what it's like being a candidate and putting yourself out there. And if so, she's willing to do the work and she's willing to protect our lake. She's far more deserving than somebody who simply signed up because Central called them and put their name on a ballot and never even bothered to call the riding association. And so like, yeah, not just a member, but a president, someone who's run for president of the party might not be able to vote for the party in good conscience anyway. I might hold my nose and do it, but I've never had to do that before. And I, I've never really liked Andrea as a leader, but I have always been able to see the the bigger picture. But now it's it's kind of like if these are the people that are consistently running our party, watching so many of our friends get sidelined and harmed. Like, I, I think we touched on it, but the personal impact of being told you can't run for the party is very, very, very upsetting. That word doesn't even begin to explain the phone calls that I've had, the personal feelings I've had myself of inadequacy because you're told, you know, you don't qualify for something that's just so important and central to your being, like the politics, right? You're not trying out for a team that you may play on for a few more years or not. Like this is how you think you might change the world. And someone's telling you, no, no, you don't have access to that now. So, I mean, people don't know where to go after that happens. So, no, I don't, I'm not sure I can vote for the party as it is right now. So let's talk about what we want to see. So you said Andrea's gone no matter what. I would have said that at the last election. I'm pretty sure I did. I, I wasn't on the record anywhere. But, I mean, we couldn't beat the liberals in the campaign that we had last time that was like we needed to, to win. That would that was so critical to beat Ford. The liberals had dissolved into nothing. And yes, labor kind of screwed us, but she should have walked then. We should have had a renewal, a time of renewal. What, how do you fix this? Like how do you what do you want to see? When we're talking about these things on um a focused 
individual in a focused individual way we tend to lose the bigger picture the bigger picture is the party doesn't form government without the riding associations doesn't form the government without members the members their donations their free labor their the candidates the local candidates you don't vote for the leader you don't vote for the premier you vote for local members or local candidates so when you you look at the way an election actually works they need as many seats as they they can get to form government but those candidates need the members need the money so the reason we're not going to form government and i hope that like that it's so weird because like you said my life will definitely get worse if the ndp is not going to form government but will it get better is a question i have so what i would like to see is the people who fund this party do 90 percent of the work the executives who do all the administrative work and spend their life their physical mental and emotional capital and financial capital on this party start getting the power they're supposed to have because it's not about it's not about it i sorry the reason i'm 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 struggling is because i'm hearing all the what about ism oh well it's the same oh in the liberals oh well that's what party politics are and so on and so forth the ndp is supposed to be a community it's supposed to be a community at the local level at the regional level at the every level it's supposed to be a community there's no community here and what i would like to see is the community because and the education of how to actually take part like what what is supposed to happen the things we're talking about so many people don't know about this i've had so many people talk about you can't not give a candidate money that's what that money is for well well no it's not so they don't educate people they don't inspire empower connect people everything we've talked about finding good candidates having healthy contested nomination meetings having a lot of funds having resources having wins and forming government does not happen without the community and that's also known as the grassroots so i i would like to see the members go enough of this this is actually our party our work and our money pay for central to be our administrators not our controllers so that's what i'd like to see is the members realizing that you're not hurting the party by speaking out and fighting this you're actually more likely to form government if the members say enough of this absolutely i mean one of the key points like i know we like to brag about our fundraising uh records that we break and you know ontario ndp has actually done quite well in fundraising this last quarter but i mean in the end what we need is not even just a win at in a single province at the election right we need a political revolution and if you're putting people in power that operate in this way 
right? So not even can you logistically get it done because you don't actually have the amount of staff required to win an election, right? To to get the things done that need to happen. It, but you you don't have the legitimacy either, right? Because you're not a voice of the people, clearly, right? The locals mean nothing. Their voices mean nothing. And I think uh, it's demonstrated in the candidate search and, and team formation that we talked about today. But I think in our future discussions, uh, we also have to talk about how it's missing from policy as well, how the grassroots is clearly missing from the policy we heard on the campaign trail. So not only are the people, we aren't seeing real activists running, um, rabble rousers, the people that we need for a political revolution are absent from the ballot for the most part, but the ideas too. So I think certainly um, that we didn't get to talk about ODSP and the changes that were made on the campaign trail, but surely our next um, episode on providing insight within the NDP is going to focus on on that. So um, personally, I agree with you, Jay, and you know this. I mean, we tried to, I used the past tense there, that's awful, but with New Democrat, that's exactly what, you know, we were trying to do is create a community that could understand the, poli- the, the processes of partisan politics, could more easily access it, and then they wouldn't be so dependent on central, would understand their own power. And so when stuff like this happens, could rise up and stop it and provide something different for voters. I think if they had seen a rebellion within the NDP before, you know, while there was still time to do something about it, that we would have inspired a lot of people who don't hear their voices at all on the campaign trail, who Michael Balagas has not even polled. Uh, he does, you know, they're not conservative voters. They're not liberal voters. They know that it's not going to matter to them. And um, we don't connect with them either. So, um yeah, it's not just about, you know, a few people being wronged and the team not looking the way that it should and or, or you know, um, people holding on to power. It is a, a huge part of the complete disenfranchisement of people, especially on the left, where really that's our only access to electoral politics is through the NDP at the moment. So, yeah, I do hope that that community builds, continues to build, realizes their power like we have seen. I mean, we saw we saw a little bit of this election. So let's hope. Right. And perhaps with a little encouraging <laughs> on on our part and other people that, you know, are starting to kind of find their voices within the party. So if I can add. What what should happen with vetting? Because we didn't really specify our, our views of what we would like to see happening there's the way it is the way it should be vetting the party should create a report and it should be presented to the writing association they like to talk about privacy and so on and so forth if you are going forward as a candidate why are you hiding yourself from the people who are supposed to be electing you and donating to you and so on you mean deleting your social media and stuff like that yeah. yeah. So what the party should do is provide a report to the writing association. The writing association should go, let us have this candidate explain this or yes or no. It should not be up to a small group of people in Toronto. It should be up to the writing because if there is a situation, it is 2022. 
to take a simple post saying Doug Ford is a murderer and say you can't run for our party. By the way, Doug Ford's policies and legislation are killing people. That makes no sense. So they they need to modernize the whole concept. They actually they don't need to modernize it. They need to stop trying to manipulate vetting because that's the only reason these things stand out as quote-unquote issues but central needs to stop telling people who will represent them because that's not representation and the final thing i would like to see is i would really like to see members break the hyper partisanship because if you speaking out either individually or as a writing association can damage the party's chances of being elected that is because the party is doing something that's damaging their chances of being elected. It has nothing to do with you speaking out. So the the it's on one hand unfortunate so many situations need to be brought up right now and leading into the election. But at the same time, that is the most beautiful thing I have seen because these are abusive, manipulating, exploitation of members and if you're not willing to call that out, then you're enabling that. And how do you join? The other parties are very clear. The conservatives do not care about human beings. The liberals kind of pretend they care about human beings. Our party presents itself as we care about human beings. But look at what we do or look at what they do. A very small group of people do to members, to potential candidates, to executives to candidates and and realize if that's actually what you want to be defending and and enabling or speak out and take it's not that they have all the power it's that the members don't wield their power i'll stop ranting now <laughs> well no like to the hyper partisanship too um i mean we could talk about in fact we we might as well talk about that in in our upcoming episodes as well we don't have time to cover it here but the amount of hypocrisy within the grassroots is very troubling. Um, what I mean is we're a party of activists, mostly, right? People that want change. That's our platform, our progressive change. We don't appreciate top-down power. If we did, we'd be conservatives, so to say, well, all parties act that way and this is how parties need to do it to win. No, that's how they need to do it to win. They are appealing to people who believe in that kind of top-down power, who think that that's, that's how we should operate as a society, right? And we don't. We didn't get involved with the NDP because we believe in those kind of power systems. We got involved in the NDP to tear those fucking systems down. So then when we're faced with those, it's no wonder we walk away in droves because it feels bad. It looks bad. And the the hypocrisy that I'm talking about are the same activists that know should another party behave this way, they would expose it. Should their employer be behaving this way, we would ask employees to expose it, to unite together, speak against it, withdraw their labor until something changes. But when it's in our party, it's like, oh, well, no, we can't do that. That would hurt the bosses, right? That would hurt the bosses. That w- but it's because our future is so wrapped up, or we think it is, 
and it's and it's not. So what I would like to see is people to just let go of this desperate idea that your future does rest in electoral politics because look to BC, look to Alberta who have had recent NDP governments. It is not the solution to the problem. It still should be an avenue for people to to bring about change, but I get you know, and Jay, you can attest that I get really upset when people just think there is just no other option. So to speak ill will or to fight against it or to even leave it, you know, is not an option. So um, it absolutely is an option. There are and the show that we do every week, every Thursday demonstrates to people that there are so many avenues outside the toxic partisan shit that so many of us have dealt with that is more fulfilling, rewarding, and productive to your community and to like progressive change as a whole. So we did a lot of NDP bashing. I understand that the it's other parties... Well, we did a little bit, and, and I do sometimes because, you know, I got a beef with them at the moment. They need to clean house before, you know, I will leave them alone, to be honest. But, you know, it's got to be heard, right? <laughs> I mean... This stuff is just not going to change in the absence. And we do understand, both Jay and I understand, that liberals are not an option for people, that the progressive conservatives are absolutely not an option for people. But that doesn't mean you allow the only option then to degrade itself to the point where it is helping nobody. So that's why we're doing these episodes, not only to provide a little glimpse, perhaps you find it interesting, perhaps you find it helpful, But by golly, (laughs) we are looking to inspire people to do something different within the party because the cycle just has to stop. The the thing that a lot of people end up getting too deep or too attached to is this is my party. And in all honesty, while you're sitting there doing everything you can all day, every day, every cent that you're able to give, when you're giving that away, no, this is not your party party it is not representative of you especially if you don't get to choose your candidate especially if you don't get to choose policy especially if it's not a democratic thing so to have activists and unionists is that a proper word unionists so to have these people who are so very well aware of the the need to fight against the things attacking workers and attacking people and then to campaign on that like those other parties are doing these things if it exists in your own party that is hopefully not representative of you or else go to one of the spaces where that's acceptable where those tactics and those actions are actually representative of the membership the NDP is the worker party. It is the working class party. It is the marginalized party. But a very small percentage of people in this party are making it something else. And it's to leave it on the most positive version of a note that I can. And maybe, Jesse, you can leave it on an even better note. Probably is not. <laughs> all the things we're talking about. And it's not, it is not to me bashing to, to, if, if the truth hurts and the truth needs to be said, like it deserves to hurt, right? So my hope 
the reason I'm taking part in this, the reason I do this to anyone who's like, can I talk to you about something? Absolutely. Is because there is some deep gaslighting that goes on. And we need to, as members, acknowledge that and prevent new members from getting sucked into that. And to take a bit of a break and do a debrief after this election and go, not what did we do wrong, but what is wrong with the party? Because there is no membership more truly more dedicated. Liberals and conservatives pay almost everyone who takes part in campaigns. We have volunteers. We have people whose lives are attached to the party. We have that power. So my, my real hope is that people just reflect on how gaslit they are and how willing they are to pretend they're not or accept it or endure it. Okay, I that wasn't positive at all. It, it wasn't, but I found one. I thought of one. I thought of one because we talked about a lot of people, but we didn't talk to them. So this is to anybody ever who has been rejected by the NDP, except Steve Parrish and Paul Miller. <laughs> you are good enough. You are actually what the party needs. And I am so terribly sorry that you were made to feel otherwise. Eventually, there will be a space in electoral politics for you, perhaps. Perhaps. But please, know that such a small amount of people made these decisions. They are not reflective of who you are or your potential. So I hope a few of you do here, because a few of you better be listening. <laughs> so... We do appreciate you, and um, yeah, a shout out to Sam Kaplan for for going at it anyway. One of the youngest, if not the youngest, candidates in the Ontario election went through the traumatizing thing of what the party did to them, and then still went, you know what? I'll be an independent. That's right. Yeah, and that, if that's a path for other people, so be it. If it's a new party, so be it. If it's a complete takeover on June third. Please, so be it. Um, that will be another discussion, I'm sure. Thank you so much, Jay, for joining us. Uh, you will be back. We will keep doing this. Let's just say be hopeful, friends, and uh, realize your power within the NDP. If you'd like to ask us any questions on things you'd like to know about how partisan politics work, or perhaps you would like to share one of your stories uh, from within the NDP, you know how to reach us. You can find us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. Thank you so much for joining us. Like in all things that we do, there's a team behind Blueprints of Disruption. I want to give a big thank you to our producers, Santiago, Hello Quintero, and Jay Woodruff. Our show is also made possible by the support of our listeners. So if you appreciate our content and would like to become a patron, please visit us at www.patreon backslash BP of disruption. So if you know of any work that should be amplified or want to provide feedback of our show, please reach out to us on Twitter at BP of disruption. Blueprints of Disruption is a project of New Left Media, an independent employee-owned company.